2 Peter chapter 1, 16 through 21. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word made fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's 2 Timothy 1, 16 through 21. Thank you for joining us again in these studies in video format brought to you by the Laurel Heights Church of Christ in McAllen, Texas. Focus now, look on the page in your Bible, 2 Timothy 1, 16 to 21. The word for that begins verse 16 in the English Standard Version and the New King James is a connecting word, a preposition which often introduces a reason. Sometimes the phrase is in order to or for this reason. So this always requires that we observe the context. Peter has been writing in the previous verses about his intention to keep teaching and reminding Christians of the truth. Now he's going to review the origin of truth, the ultimate origin of truth. He's going to say, the message delivered by me and the other apostles to you isn't just any other message. It is the message from God. And with the other apostles, we were eyewitnesses of authenticating events. And Peter gives one of those. I want you to keep that in mind as we proceed now at verse 16. Reading all of 2 Peter, we know where this is headed. We know when we get into chapter 2, this is a warning about false teachers. All of chapter 2, into chapter 2, is a treatment of the subject, false teachers, their methods, their corruption, their characteristics, and their doom. Peter said, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. This was written not 
so much for false teachers who were denying the master, but for Christians who might be under the influence of the false teachers, for them to be warned and not be deceived. And for all readers of this book today to know there are deceivers, but the apostles were not deceivers and their message is not deceptive. The apostles of Christ were eyewitnesses of major authenticating events. They were guided by the Holy Spirit. God gave a loud stamp of approval on their master. And that's all emerging here in these verses. So before that discussion of false teachers, this very significant introduction in chapter 1, verses 16 through 21, a statement concerning the truth of God, the revelation of that message through men like the apostle Peter, but the message didn't come from these men. It came from God. In order to detect that which is false, there must be an objective standard. And Peter teaches here at the end of chapter one, we have an objective standard from God. So I'm considering the last paragraph of chapter one, uh, not only as a follow-up to what Peter said about his intentions to remind Christians of the truth, but looking forward, introductory, to what we're going to be studying in chapter 2. Verse 16, 2 Peter 1, verse 16. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. When the apostles preached the gospel, and as inspired men wrote the document that we call the New Testament, they were not just telling a story they made up. First of all, the apostles delivered <clears throat> a single message. Second, there is no evidence they had some sort of convention to conspire and to invent or make all this up that's in the New Testament. Third, the message they delivered was founded on historical truth, authenticated. They were eyewitnesses of the transfiguration, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I take verse 16 to be a statement of the integrity of the apostle Peter and all the apostles of Christ. They did not originate the message they delivered. They didn't just make it all up <coughs> in honor of a dead leader, as some secularist might suggest. Their message was given in the most powerful way, making known the coming of the Messiah. They were eyewitnesses of his majesty, specifically in a historical event that's going to be referred to here. There were religious systems being practiced in the first century 
which were based on cleverly devised myths, speculation, mere fantasy. The Gnostic system of religion was speculative. It was a product of human imagination. Idolatry was founded on alleged deities created by men fashioned into images. Old Testament law ended with the death of Christ. Judaism, as enforced by the Pharisees, was driven by human tradition. Caesar worship was instituted in the interest of serving men in power in the Roman Empire. So at the time Peter wrote this epistle, there were many vain religions. There were many cleverly devised myths and tales of men. Not this. We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. New International Version, we did not follow cleverly invented stories. I believe in verse 17, Peter takes us to a specific confirming event, a historical fact witnessed by Peter, James, and John, the transfiguration. Be turning to Matthew 17. I'm going to read verse 17 in 2 Peter 1, and then I'm going to refer to Matthew 17. Here in 2 Peter 1, 17, for when, we, when he received glory and honor from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now, <clears throat> go back and read with me in Matthew chapter 17. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw one, but Jesus only. 
they saw no one but Jesus only. It seems obvious. Peter's statement over in 2 Peter 1 at verse 17 is a reference back to this authenticating event. God was saying to these men, this is my son, listen to him. <clears throat> this was part of the total events the apostles witnessed, equipping them to serve as apostles. Jesus was identified as the Messiah in so many ways. One way was in this event, Peter, James, and John as witnesses. Jesus appeared along with Moses and Elijah. Peter's impulse was to build a monument to all three. God did not confirm Peter's recommendation, but rather said concerning Christ, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. If you have the older translations, it says, hear ye him. There was great meaning in this event, not just for Peter, James, and John, but for all men. This was one of many historical events in which God put his seal of approval on Jesus. And in this case, apparently called upon men to hearken to him. In effect, Moses and Elijah laid the end of their work at the feet of Jesus. Moses, the lawgiver, Elijah, representative of the prophets, the law and the prophets came to their intended conclusion in Christ. And God illustrated this in a real event, witnessed by and consistently reported by Peter, James, and John. The clear import of this was and is today, Jesus is to be heard. And I listen to Jesus, and you listen to Jesus, when we read what the Holy Spirit gave through the apostles. Verse 18, we ourselves heard this voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Verse 18 certainly affords us confirming evidence that Peter's reference is to the transfiguration on that mountain that we read in Matthew 17. Peter is affirming that event as part of the total evidence that Jesus delivered by the apostles was not a myth or fable, but was truth from God. The gospel is the message about God's provision for man through Christ and how man ought to respond to that. And Peter is emphasizing this is not a cleverly devised fable. Verse 19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. <clears throat> Instead of just having a collection of stories and tales made up by men, we have the prophetic word made more sure. 
we have in the New Testament what God promised and what was prophesied in the Old Testament. We not only have the prophecies, we have the fulfillments that lined up perfectly with those predictive statements given by men that came from God. And this gives us assurance, made more sure. So consider the transfiguration scene was confirmation of prophecy, and the transfiguration scene was also authenticating evidence. That scene on the mountain, God offering his seal of approval on Jesus Christ. So Peter says, it's made more sure, not cleverly devised fables, the prophetic word made more sure. Now, what do we do with all this? The next phrase in verse 19, which you do well to heed. Pay attention. We should pay attention to the word. We should hear and obey the gospel delivered to the apostles. The New International Version, you will do well to pay attention. If I want to do well, I need to pay attention. In the rest of verse 19, an illustration is presented. Imagine that you're in a, a room that's totally dark, back in a cave, totally dark, and there's a lamp you begin to see. The natural impulse would be to move toward that light, a lamp shining in a dark place. Not only can we attend to the lamp shining in the dark place, we can partake of the light. The morning star can arise in your heart as you respond to the gospel of Christ. And then verses 20 and 21. If anyone thinks, I'm sorry, I need to go to 2 Peter chapter 1, 20 and 21. That was James chapter 1. It's a good passage. But I'm here in 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What the scriptures teach should never be regarded as something man came up with. If God teaches us something through his word, given by the apostles, authenticated and confirmed. We never should regard his word <coughs> as just something men came up with. Now, you may connect this with a common experience. You tell someone what the Bible says, and they say, well, that's just your interpretation. No, if you've read to them from the Bible, it's much more than just something that could be called your interpretation. God spoke to men as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, and it was written. This is one of the classic biblical claims of divine inspiration. One of the classic biblical claims of divine inspiration. 
men spoke from God, being moved, carried along by the Holy Spirit. Folks, that's what you have in this book. And you will do well, and I will do well to pay attention. Thank you for being with us.